This is episode number 17 with Bava Ram. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Bavaram, formerly known as Brad Willis, is the best-selling author of the highly acclaimed memoir, Warrior Pose, How Yoga Literally Saved My Life, which details his journey from the frontline war correspondent to facing a broken back, failed surgery, and stage four cancer, then ultimately healing through mind-body-spirit medicine. He is now an inspirational speaker on self-empowerment and the science Science of personal transformation. Now, there are times in your life where you come across someone and you just click. You know, the stars have perfectly and divinely aligned, and this person deeply impacts your life. Now, I had that experience with Bava. Now, my husband and Bava had been friends for a couple of years and they were actually working together for a while. When I was first introduced to Bava on Skype one afternoon when Nick was having a session with him and I walked in the room and I was blown away by his beautiful presence. You know, those people that just love is pouring out of their heart. Well, that's Bava. And he was very much responsible for cracking Nick wide open. So I went on to read his incredible book in two days, which deeply and profoundly impacted my life. He is the real deal. He's someone who walks his talk and is one of the most authentic and inspiring souls I have ever had the pleasure of meeting and being friends with. I feel so truly grateful to have him in my life, and I'm so excited to share this interview with him today. In this episode, we chat about how he went from being Brad Willis, the man on the front line as an award-winning NBC correspondent to Yogi Bhavaram, how he healed from cancer, a broken back, depression, addiction, and traumatic stress, the dark demons that visited him in the rehabilitation center. I freaking love this story. It's so good. Who the best guru on the planet is and why you need to listen to them, the power of mantra, how he deals with fear when it comes up today, the biggest contributing factor to your growth and evolution, plus so much more. Everything that we mention in the episode, you can find in the show notes. So don't worry about scribbling things down if you don't have a pen and paper. And that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 17. Go there, leave me a comment. I read every single comment there and respond when I can. So please come and let me know what you thought of this episode once you've had a listen. And without further ado, let's dive in. I am so excited for you guys to hear this mind-blowing episode with the incredible Bava Ram. Bava, welcome. Before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Well, Melissa, it is great to be here. And I dove into a bowl of organic oatmeal for breakfast with bananas and strawberries and pecans and a little bit of cinnamon. Mmm, delicious. Yum, Mm -hmm. yum, yum. Now, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I actually want to credit you because a lot of where my husband is today is because of you and the work that you and him did together before we got together. So maybe this episode should be called how yoga literally helped me find my husband. (laughs) Well, you're such a beautiful couple. I'm really honored that 
I could help in my own small way. And I think both of you are lights to the world. And I think your relationship is so exemplary as well that, that it's bound to be inspiring many people. I think the exact same of you and Laura, just such a beautiful example of a beautiful relationship. So thank you for, you know, all the work that you did with Nick. It's really, it opened his heart and even more. And I'm just, I'm so grateful. You're so welcome. So for those of you who have, you know, don't know Bava, he is the author of an incredible book, titled Warrior Pose, a war correspondent's memoir, How Yoga Literally Saved My Life. I devoured Bava's book in two days and was so captivated by your story. It was just incredible. So can you take us back to when you were this incredible award-winning Brad Willis, NBC war correspondent? Well, I had worked my way up in broadcast journalism from small market television stations to medium market across the country and ultimately with NBC News as a foreign correspondent. I was first assigned to cover Latin America for NBC. And then the Gulf War uh, was going to break out. Uh, Troops were massing and I went over for NBC to Saudi Arabia and ultimately was on the front lines of the Persian Gulf War with the 1st Marine Division. But Melissa, all that time, the final seven years of my career, even during the Gulf War, I was hiding a dark secret. In 1986, I had been inside Afghanistan with the Mujahideen Freedom Fighters during the Soviet war there. And after I came out and was able to airlift a number of war-wounded children from the refugee camps, I did something I didn't usually do. I took a little vacation because I was very type A, and I always felt that that my motto or my mantra back then was, I'm not really smarter than anyone else, but I'm going to work longer and harder than anyone else. That's the type A personality. So I went on a vacation after having been in this war zone down to the tropics, and a pretty big storm came up the last night that I was there. I was battening down storm windows. The final ones were up high. The handles broke and I fell and landed smack on the base of my spine and it knocked the wind out of me. And I was in such shock, I didn't really feel pain until the next morning. But I kept on going, a big story broke in Nicaragua and off I went. So the whole time that my career is is soaring now after Afghanistan, my mental and physical health are being profoundly affected because the only way I could cope with that pain was to chew muscle relaxers and painkillers. And I began to drink a little more alcohol every night because it was consuming me. I had this real fear, this knowing that if I gave up, if I stopped, even to get a back surgery, which I didn't want to do, uh, I'd lose my spot in line. I'd lose my career. So I pushed ahead for seven years through the Gulf War. After the Gulf War, I ended up in charge of all Asia for NBC, and I was living in Hong Kong. And this was the really the assignment of my dreams. I had never been to all these places in Asia before, and it was a fascinating time. I was in North Korea and Vietnam and Thailand and the Philippines and Japan and China, of course. And one day, I was in the Philippines covering a story, and after a long day's hard work, I leaned over in the hotel to look at videotape with my editor And something snapped in my lower back where I had landed seven years ago. And I just fell on the floor in excruciating pain. Did you hear it? No, but I felt it. And it just grabbed me like someone had stabbed me in the back with an ice pick. So I came back to the United States and I had major back surgery. And it failed. And I was declared permanently disabled. So I went from this wonderful career where I really had an opportunity to make a difference in the world, to do investigative reporting and war reporting and report on refugees and the plight of innocent victims in conflict, to somebody who was living in a back brace and couldn't sit up to eat a meal and had to walk with a cane. And this is 
when the, the drugs I took to cope with the pain in the beginning got stronger and stronger. The doctors were giving me Vicodin and Valium and Prozac and Ritalin and a, a host of other hydrocortone and a host of other medications. And I really didn't understand how much traumatic stress I was under, how depressed I was, and how in shock I was, because I had lost my identity. As a man, as a journalist, as a human being, I didn't know how I would take care of myself financially or what would happen. And that began a a reverse spiral from this ascending career to this plunging into an abyss. I really became excellent at self-pity and was also pretty good at anger and fear and anxiety and denial. This went on for a few years, and then things got a whole lot worse. Tell us, what happened from there? Well, my only child, my little boy, was born just before Christmas in 1997. And finally I thought, well, I, I do have a life. I do have an identity. It's for this beautiful little boy. And he... Immediately, it was my whole world. I, I would have him on top of my body brace that I had to wear as I was lying down. Three months into his beautiful little life, I got sick and sicker, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And then a big lump came up on my neck, and it turned out to be stage four cancer uh, called oral pharyngeal carcinoma, which means it started in my throat and had metastasized into my lymphatic system from exposure to depleted uranium in the Persian Gulf War uh, years earlier. And the doctors told me, you're not going to live for two years. Two years, if you get two years, you'll be very lucky. And by the way, here's some morphine to go along with that litany of pharmaceutical medications I already mentioned to you. And by the way, Melissa, I got even better at self-pity and depression and traumatic stress. And I went into the dark, dark night of the soul. And then, and then what happened? Tell me more. I want to know more. (laughs) (laughs) How old was your son at this time when it was the darkest? Well, he was three months when I was diagnosed. And then as time went on and I got darker and took more of these medications and had a lot of fear inside of me and just felt I was awaiting my death. He came to me once he turned two years old, and he could see that something was wrong with me in his own little two-year-old way. And he sort of trembled and looked at me with his big, beautiful eyes and said three words that changed my life. He said, get up, daddy. And Melissa, it hit me in a place that I didn't know that I had, um, a place right in my heart center. It just cracked me open. And as the year 2000 unfolded, that new year and that Christmas time, every night I would lay in bed, pickled on my medications again, and say, get up, Daddy, but how I have terminal cancer. Get up, Daddy, but how I have a broken back, a failed back surgery, no career. And finally, I decided at the beginning of the new year that the only way I could get up was to get off all the medications and the alcohol and die with some dignity because I didn't have any dignity. And that maybe someday someone would tell my son, you know, that's what your your father did. That's how he remembered your, your plea to him. And he went and he got off everything that he was on. So I checked into a hospital, and I went through their program, and I detoxed cold turkey on what was now 14 years of medications. And believe me, all the demons in Dante's Inferno are real because they came into my room during the, the first eight or nine nights and days. And then I would just lock myself in that room. So you, after 14 years of being on a plethora of mm-hmm. <laughs> medications, you went cold turkey. Now, this story in your book, this when you tell this part of the story, when you go into the re- rehabilitation and you describe the demons and the darkness that came to visit you, like I was just, my jaw was on the floor. So, can you tell us what that was like? Like completely coming off all of that medication after 14 years, what was that like? What was going on internally for you? 
Well, I was often writhing on the floor, and toxins were coming out of both ends of my body. And um, I was having hallucinations, and in the dark, I just saw demons coming from every corner of the room and heard screams, and I went into a, a real delusional state. Yeah, but in about eight to ten days, it ended, and I was under good medical care. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. I, I didn't really have a plan. And I couldn't really go home at the time because I was so sick and also because my marriage was was ending. I don't know how anyone stayed with me through a foreign correspondent to mm-hmm. someone who uh, got so dark. It was a difficult, difficult time. And um, they they had an experimental clinic there, and they came to me and asked me to be one of the very few patients in it. And they explained it to me that we are blending ancient Eastern healing modalities with modern Western holistic techniques. And Melissa, I didn't even understand, but it was like a lifeline. And I said, I'm in. And it was in the hospital. I was already staying in a, I moved to a hotel nearby from the the detox unit. And I began going to this program. And the very first day they put, earphones on me, leaned me back in a a recliner, hooked all of my systems up to a computer screen. So they were taking my skin temperature and brain waves and heart rate and so forth and had me close my eyes and played an audio tape. And it was this amazing man who's now a dear, dear friend named Dr. Emmett Miller, one of the founders of mind-body medicine in America, guiding me on a visualization into a natural state of inner awareness. And at the end of 20 minutes, all of my baselines on that computer screen had smoothed out, and I felt a sense of inner peace that I hadn't felt in all these years. And I just knew, whatever time I have left, this is my pathway forward. I had his book sent to my hotel room and devoured his book called Deep Healing. And... I began embracing these modalities at the pain center, and after a month or two came something called yoga. I had never done yoga in my life. I'd always been, even in my my prime before I hurt my back, very stiff and not flexible. And I thought, well, this is crazy. And I went into the yoga room that they had there, and I had another little epiphany. I just knew something important is going on here for me. And what I experienced in the first class in that room, a one-on-one session, very, very therapeutic yoga, just getting my legs up the wall, was a more profound relaxation and a more profound inner awareness. And I went back to the hotel and had the concierge order me books on yoga. And I soon learned that it's not what most of us think it is in the West. It's not just a series of postures. Or having a yoga mat and yoga clothes. It's a whole mind-body science, as I like to say, of how to be a human being. It deals with nutrition and mental nutrition and lifestyle practices and breath work and meditation and yoga postures. So I started embracing all of this slowly and feeling more and more hope. And then the pain center, as they called it, shut down because the insurance companies wouldn't reimburse the hospital. They called it the the treatment too alternative. I knew three people in the program, and two of them went back to alcohol and drugs, and my best friend in the program took his own life. I went home, and I built a yoga room in my home, and I began practicing and reading and studying and practicing and reading and studying and fasting and becoming vegan because I had still eaten like a foreign correspondent. And as I've said, I drank like two or three foreign correspondents, but I was lying around in a body brace for those years. And so I gained a tremendous amount of weight. So I took 80 pounds off my body through fasting, which took me about 20 or 30 pounds lower than I'd ever been as, as an adult. I called that my organic chemotherapy. And the vegan diet was also extremely helpful and purifying. That's where the long periods of fasting and 
is really why I'm alive today. And I think that anyone that goes through a journey like this has an inner calling because I've had the privilege now of working with so many clients and and people around the world who are, are facing suffering. And my desire was to share it forward, to really spread the news of what's possible. Because if someone is broken and is down and is dark and ruined as I was, could crawl out of that abyss. Don't tell me you can't. Anyone who might be listening to this, no matter how bad you think it might be, because you have a power inside of you that's your birthright, from which we've largely been disenfranchised by a fast-paced, overstimulated, media-driven culture. You have within you an inner power to heal to your maximum capacity, an inner power to make major shifts in your life, to fully express yourself creatively, and to ultimately manifest your fullest potential. So that's what I've devoted my life to ever since. So after you lost all of this weight and took your yoga into your home and into your life, what happened next? Did you still have the cancer and the broken back? What happened from there? How did that unfold? Well, I spent about two years going into that yoga room every day for hours. I started getting up very, very early before sunrise because that's what the ancient text advised. I was all in. I was really following the guidance that that I got from my studies. It took me over a year to notice that my pain was lessening and that I was living longer than the doctors had said I would. And it took me really a year to notice I'm losing a lot of weight here and my body's becoming more flexible. And about a year and a half into it, I just knew the cancer was gone. I actually had a meditation where I felt it leave my body. And I know that's a little kooky and certainly nothing that could ever be documented, but I just felt it. And my back pain was gone. And the level of flexibility that my body provided me was uh, unbelievable. I could fold all the way forward. I could even, if I wanted to play around, put a leg behind my head. And I was alive again. And that's when I started to fully realize I have a new life here to live. And I came out of that yoga cave and started to live my life again. Now, along the way, my marriage ended and I met the woman that I'm married to and incredibly in love with now. And we ultimately started teaching together and started doing these mind-body practices together and seeing clients. And Laura Plum, I know that you've had her on your podcast. Not yet. She's coming on soon, so don't worry. Coming on soon. Okay. (laughs) Stay tuned, folks. And um, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Emmett Miller, who recorded that audio tape that I listened to my first day in that alternative center and teaching with him. And he's still a great friend and a colleague, and I've met so many other incredible people on this journey. And so it goes. One of the stories, I mean, there's so many great ones in your book. One that really stood out to me, and you kind of touched on it a little bit before, is there was a pivotal moment in your healing journey when you were laying on the jetty or the wharf, I can't remember what you refer to it, and something happened. And you touched on it before. Can you take us back to that exact moment and tell us what happened and what it felt like? Well, as I got stronger and started to venture out of my yoga cave, I started riding a bicycle, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do again. I live on a little island off the coast of San Diego, connected by a bridge. And so I started riding my bicycle down to the bay, looking out at the San Diego skyline. And I would get there before sunrise, and I would chant and do my yoga practice as the sun was coming up in the east. And that, again, is an ancient yogic practice to always be up in in that special time when the sun is rising and to make a connection and to be doing one's what's called sadhana or daily practice. It's called the hour of the divine, isn't it? 
Right. Brahma Mahurti in Sanskrit, the, the time of the divine, in which there's more stillness and silence. You know, if you, if you remember when you get up in the morning before the light comes up, you have a greater awareness. It's like all of nature is still. And there's a pure presence around you. And that's the time that they feel is most auspicious to practice. So that's mm. what I did. So I went through that morning, and then I walked to a dock that was close by after the sun was up and lay down on the dock and was doing a little more practice. And then I had this feeling, uh, something came over my whole body, and then I had this feeling like this white, geometric, sort of transparent and opaque hologram just flew out of my chest and disappeared. And... Now, now, please understand, I didn't have a lot of these kinds of visions or silly things going on uh, during my healing journey, but that happened. Just like the gargoyles and, and the demons in the detox room. And I just had this vision when that happened. This, I said, my cancer is gone. My cancer is gone. And sure enough, that's proven to be true. I, I only went back to a Western doctor, my oncologist, as I was writing the book Warrior Pose, uh, because I wanted to flesh out a little bit of the visit with them in the book, and they had thought I was passed away. They put my file in that place in their office where you put the file of people who are no longer with us. Plus, I was about 60 or 70 pounds lighter. I had to eat a little more food after all that fasting to get myself back up to a, a reasonable body weight. And they didn't recognize me. The big black circles were gone under my eyes and so forth. But that was a moment where I just felt I knew the cancer has left me. So wait, you're saying that you had terminal cancer and then you had this experience on the dock where you felt it leave your body. Did you have validation from your oncologist? Like, what was their response when you went back to them? Tell me about when you walked into that room. Well, I walked in there, you know, a decade later uh, after that experience. I wasn't seeing doctors anymore. And I didn't need any medical validation. I'm alive today. This begins the 20th year now since I was diagnosed with that stage four cancer. That's my validation. But he was a bit surprised, very professional, good man. And I explained a little bit about what I had been doing because I was so enthusiastic about what, it, what I had experienced. And he took it all in, uh, I think in a Western analytical way, which might not have been a full embrace, and said, well, whatever you're doing, it seems like it's working. Keep it up. And and how did you feel in that moment? What, what went through your body in that moment when he said that? In a way, I was a little bit conflicted because I wanted to say, do you realize how many of your patients might be helped if instead of just being given chemotherapy and radiation, if they were encouraged to change their diet to a pure, healthy diet and to breathe more deeply and to fast a little bit to detox, and to learn tools and techniques to relax their minds, which we now know in modern mind-body medicine at the cutting edge, that this actually changes your inner chemistry. When you are in a state of deep and profound relaxation and using positive imagery, you're creating a neurochemistry in your body that promotes your immune system and your capacity to metabolize whatever nutrients are in your chosen diet. And when you're in a state of depression and fear and anxiety, as most people who, who have great life challenges are, you're creating an adrenaline and cortisol that diminish your immune system and your capacity to metabolize because you're in fight or flight and your body feels it needs all the energy to run or fight. And so it takes it away from all the other natural systems of the body. And I just wanted to, to say to him, I wish Western medicine embrace this more, which it's begun doing in the past few years. Mm. So very, very few people have been able to heal like you have healed from terminal throat cancer, a broken back with a sprinkle of addiction, depression, traumatic stress, all thrown in there for good measure. 
I see a lot of people look to external resources and influences for answers, but you say the guru is you. So what do you mean by that? Well, first I mean that that I've never set myself up, even though I've done a lot of teachings and trainings and lectures, to be some sort of yoga guru. Uh, because I believe that the guru is you, that you have the inner power to self-heal, not to be healed by someone externally. Sure, Western medicine can provide some healing modalities for a lot of things that we face, and Eastern medicine can as well. But ultimately, they're just providing a field within your consciousness and your body for you to maximize your self-healing capacity. And what I also mean by this is that I believe we, we have to reclaim our physical health. I don't think that I'm unique. I've met a lot of people who have overcome phenomenal odds and have healed against all the odds. But what it takes is discipline, and it takes a commitment to really try and to stay with it. You know, unfortunately, because of mass media, Melissa, and because of marketing and the systems in which we live, in which we are looking externally for a quick fix, a lot of us don't feel that we have the discipline and we have the willpower to stick with the program. You know, we might eat pepperoni pizza and jalapeno peppers and drink beer all day long and then wonder why we have acid stomach and all we want is to go get a little purple pill to alleviate the symptoms of our acid stomach rather than to realize we're eating the wrong food and we're drinking the wrong drink. And if we change that, our body will heal naturally and we won't have all the side effects of those little purple pills and we won't have all the damage that's still going on inside of us because of a diet that is deleterious to us rather than nutritious for us. So it's a matter of taking charge. And if we're willing to take charge, now, for me, I had to. My life was in the balance, and that's made me dig down deep. And I had that power symbol of that little boy and my mantra, get up, daddy. And every time I felt weak and thought, well, I just am not going to be able to make this. I'm not going to be able to get up this morning and do my practice. I'd say, get up, daddy. And I'd keep going. So part of the message is in reclaiming our power is we have to be willing to do the work. No one can climb the mountain for us. We have to get out there and climb it ourselves. We are the guru. We are the one who's going to take us to the top of that mountain. And once we're there, we feel so empowered and we can proclaim our truth to the whole world. Mm, amen. Gosh, yes. <laughs> I hear you. That discipline, that doing that work, that showing up every day, no one is going to do it for us. I can really relate to being that type A, very driven with my identity completely wrapped up in what I did. That was very much me. And my mantra was similar to you, work harder, go faster, squeeze more into <laughs> the day, you know, as much as you physically can. And for me, I used to be as as you know, a professional dancer. And when that was taken away from me, I felt like I'd lost my identity because I put right. all of my power into what I did, like you did being this top profile, award-winning journalist on the front line. It all sounds very important and very glamorous, but it's it's what we do. It's not who we are. And it took me, as you know, many, many years ago, I, I first came and started having sessions with you with trabecular edema in my right hip. And the doctors said to me, there's nothing we can do. Here's some painkillers and here's some crutches. And I thought, okay, this is, I cried as I went, as I was handed my crutches and told to go on my way. And Nick said to me, you know, reach out to Bava. And, you know, if he can heal a broken back, 
you can reach out to him and you can transcend this hip thing, right? And then that's when I contacted you and I will never forget, I know exactly where I was sitting in my home and you said to me, get up and start doing some yoga, get up. And I was like, honestly, my internal thought was, you got to be freaking kidding me here. Like I can't even, I couldn't eat. I was in so much pain in my right hip. Like it was tremendous pain. I couldn't even turn my leg out. You know how there's that frog position. I couldn't turn it out like two degrees without it being excruciating pain. And so you said to me, get up. And similar to that, get up daddy, you know, get, you said to me, get up. And the next morning I rose before the sun and, and went out into the hour of the divine. And all I could do was put my legs out in front of me. And I used to be a professional dancer. So I could, and I worked at the Moulin Rouge in Paris. I could kick my legs up around my ears to then not even being able to sit up straight with my two legs out in front of me was incredibly challenging for me emotionally and physically. And I am so grateful for you saying that little mantra to me, because that is what kicked me up the butt. And then, like you said, it was the discipline of showing up every single morning. And every single day I got up and all I did was sit there for 10 minutes with my legs in front of me. That was it. That was my yoga practice. That was it. And then years went by and I had that same realization as you that, oh my gosh, I can I can do the splits again. Like it was just this beautiful moment. And I thought, there's no pain anymore. And yes, I did all of these things, but most importantly, all I did was I continued to show up and I continued to just every day get up at that time and had you in my ear going, get up. And I believe our words and our thoughts are so powerful. And when it comes to living from a place full of health, wealth, and love, how important is mantra to that? Well, I think it's absolutely critical. It doesn't have to be something esoteric or in a different language, but it's the story that you're telling yourself. And again, we now know through modern studies, the ancients have known this for a few thousand years, but we always have a need in the Western world to validate it through double-blind studies and chemical tests and so forth. We now know, as I was saying earlier, that what goes through your mind creates an inner chemistry within you, and that inner chemistry either nourishes you and helps you heal, or it diminishes you and helps you to suffer. So mantra is a way of telling ourselves a positive story, an affirmation. It's also a way of stilling our incredibly overstimulated and busy minds, which we all have. We live in such a loud and a fast culture. It helps us come more into the present moment. And when we're more in that present moment, we have a greater capacity to get up, to stay with it. We have a greater capacity to do what we need to do to heal and to stay whole. And we feel affirmed, too. Don't you feel great when you're able to stick with something for a while, Melissa, and you feel empowered, and you start to feel, I can? Mm, absolutely. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's that regularly showing up for yourself, not for anyone else. It's, you know, showing up for you. And it's a matter of just doing it every single day. We can let our inner critic or inner mean girl, as I say, you know, give us every excuse under the sun. But ultimately, your happiness and health and and well-being is on the line. And I know you have seen and been to some very, very dark places from, you know, living with those fighters on the front line. Like, and you must have seen some incredibly horrific things Mm. when you were there. Mm. 
And then being in the rehabilitation center to facing every one of your demons. And most people deal with that sort of fear, demons, stress on a daily basis. So out of experiencing and going through everything that you have gone through and you've learned and incorporated into your life, what's the one big lesson or takeaway that has had the most profound impact on your journey? Well, that's a big question. I think the takeaway is that to anyone listening out there, as I said earlier, if, if you are suffering or if you think you're stuck, you're not. You have power. You have so much potential within you, no matter what you're facing, to lift yourself up and to move forward. And I, I invite you to reclaim it, to grab hold of it, and to take it back again from a global culture that's disenfranchised us from that power so that we will be dependent and we will spend a lot of money and time and resources looking for ourselves in all the wrong places to grab it and to take it back. That we are all capable of our own miracles. We're all capable of healing beyond what we dreamed was possible. That doesn't mean everyone will overcome cancer or a broken back or the hip problem that you faced or things like that. But we do have a capacity to become unstuck and to move forward and to make whatever time we have on earth much more beautiful and meaningful. And in that journey, although it took me so many years to come around to it, in that journey, we will pay it forward in our own way. We will ultimately inspire some others. And isn't that what it's really all about? Mm, Absolutely. For me, many years ago, I believed that I had to suffer. I believed that we, you know, that was part of being here. You know, life is tough. And I was getting really emotional just then when you were talking, had goosebumps all over my body mm-hmm. and felt this wave of emotion because we didn't come here to suffer. You know, suffering is a choice. And my wish for every single human being on this planet is to deeply know that you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know if that was something that you thought as well. We weren't sent here to suffer. You're absolutely right. And we are here to move forward. We are all consciousness. That consciousness that's within you and within Nick and with within everyone listening to this podcast, within all sentient beings, it's the same. That's a matrix that weaves us all together. And we really are part of this whole story. That's why it's called a universe, a single verse, a single song, not a multiverse. And when we come to that awareness, we realize that all suffering is just a way of telling us that we're out of balance and a beckoning from some great eternal wisdom that has brought all life forth, a beckoning to come back into a state of balance, which we like to call in our our technical terms homeostasis, or to metabolize. But I like to call it grace, to come back into a state of grace. And when we're in that state of grace whatever suffering we're facing becomes greatly diminished and we can find again that power to cope with it and learn from it and move forward in our lives. doesn't mean we'll all be happy and blissed out and running around kissing trees, Uh, but we will find a state of being where we realize that there's always possibility and we always have this great capacity and that we, we, we can always transform and move forward. And Melissa, I think another big part of it is, you know, we're a very self-oriented world, the Western world. It's the one thing the people in the East really got right thousands of years ago, and they, they have a more collective and inclusive uh, frame of reference. And when we, when we start to embrace this state of yoga, which means unification, 
we start to realize that we're all in this together. We are really all in this together, even those with whom we profoundly disagree, even with all the problems going on in the world today, so many aspects of it. We're all in this together. And if we can remember that, we don't focus on our own particular individual problems as much anymore, on our own fears and feelings of inadequacy and our apprehensions or our egoic desires for power and control and wealth and fame that you and I have both felt early in our lives. Uh, But we understand that we're all a family. And when we can really experience that understanding, it feels good. Mm, Absolutely. I think it's Tony Robbins who says, suffering is focusing on self. And yeah, Mm. so that really resonates with me. Whenever Mm. I feel myself sliding into that poor me victim, I'm like, whoa, let's, let's take this off self and Mm -hmm. like you said we are here to help serve support and inspire it doesn't mean push what i'm feeling under the carpet feel it by all means but Mm -hmm. just take a little stock on what's really going on Mm -hmm. so everyday life what's something you know how do you deal with those moments where you may find yourself focusing on self or fear has risen. How do you move Mm. through that? Well, first I want to say, I still do have those moments. I don't think one ever arrives at some state of walking on water. The very few who arrive at a state of grace all the time, we call our saints and sages. And um, I'm I'm not anywhere near walking on water. And I do have fears come up, and I do have worries, and I do see myself sometimes being overly self-oriented. But that's part of the key is that I notice it now. Mm. Before, it was just my default. And now I notice it. And like you, I'm able to laugh at it when I see it or tell myself, let's get on to a different story here. Remember what you teach. Uh, Remember what you really believe and what you've experienced. Instead of feeling these feelings, start to think, how can I serve today? What can I do to be of service? And for me, it's some projects that I have going on to serve others, some of them directly related to what we're talking about now, especially an exciting new one I'm launching. I've just been working on the past 10 days, and I'm really happy about it. But sometimes for me, it's just walking down to the beach about a few blocks from where I live here and picking up trash and cleaning up and rather than before when I go down to the beach before these changes in my life and I'd see little trash I'd think what's wrong with these other people and why do these tourists come and leave their garbage and all that sort of silliness and now I go down and say oh just let me clean you up mother beach because you're the lap of mother earth and I feel a lot better Mm, beautiful. I love that you said that, you know, because I think a lot of people could put you on a pedestal and think you are enlightened and um, that you levitate in your meditations and you walk on water. But we're all still here learning and growing and evolving, mm-hmm. which is why we are here. I believe, like you said, awareness is key. And when you have so much self-awareness, you're able to catch when that fear or that self-obsession comes in and you're able to kind of pivot and pivot quickly. So I love that. And I do the same thing whenever I feel Mm -hmm. myself focusing on on me in that way. um, I bring Mm -hmm. my attention to how can I serve? And maybe it's with a beautiful heartfelt Instagram post or I reach Mm -hmm. out to a friend or it's simply turning to my husband and saying, Darling, what can I do for you right now that will be most supportive for you? Mm-hmm. And he might say, oh, nothing, darling. Or he'd be like, you know what? I'd really love if you could grab me a glass of water. Sure, I can do that. No worries. Mm-hmm. And if we can't serve those people or the beach that are right under our nose, right in front of us, then you know there's no point trying to go and do it on this big, ginormous global scale if we're not even doing it right in front of us. So, yeah, that's that's 
Beautiful. And thank you for reminding us that awareness is key. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to add too, Melissa, that far from walking on water, I, I still make great mistakes in my life. I still have levels of profound complexity. And I still have a dark side. We all, we all do. And I'm a human being. I think if, if you meet someone who is presenting themselves as being completely arrived and completely enlightened, that you should be really wary. You know, the word guru, you asked me about the guru is you and this belief I have around that. It's Sanskrit, gu means darkness and ru means light. And what it's saying basically is that we're all filled with darkness and with light. And the whole journey is moving from the goo to the roo. Which one are we choosing at any given time? But we'll always have both inside of us. Mm. We'll always have both. And it's which do we want to feed? And when the goo rears itself up, rather than punishing ourselves or feeling like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a phony... I think we just need to look at it and realize that's the complexity of the human condition and how do I want to move forward from this and what can I learn from this and what shifts can I make and just move ourselves gently as best as we can back towards facing the light. Beautiful. And I'm the same. I am far from enlightened. I still have moments where, (laughs) like I talk about in my book, you refer to light and dark and I say love or fear. And, you know, I talk a lot about this in Mastering a Mean Girl. It's There's still moments where I catch myself choosing fear and then I'm like, ah, like, and I like, I laugh at myself sometimes. Most times I I try to bring that lightness Mm -hmm. to it and that joy because it doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be so serious. And if we can bring some lightness to it, then it just makes it so much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to forgive others and we have to forgive ourselves. And forgiveness is a very big practice, I think, along with empathy and compassion, which are elements of of serving, serving the world and being less self-oriented. Forgiveness is also a really big piece. Mm. Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your amazing books, (laughs) they're a given. They're already in the curriculum. Let's pretend they're already in there. What book would you choose? I put the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and of course, it would need a teacher to help walk the students through it, because it can be a little esoteric at first, although there are a lot of very clear and concise commentaries on it. Patanjali was the author some 2,500 years ago, a great sage of yoga and its sister science of Ayurvedic medicine, which I practice as well. And... A sutra informs our English word suture or stitch. They're little terse aphorisms. And through these aphorisms and the expansion on them by great teachers, it's really a formula for how to be a human being, for how to live our lives on all levels, on body, mind, and spirit levels. And the wisdom is so profound And more and more, again, I see Western medicine coming up with new, more holistic ahas that I can trace right back to the wisdom of the Yoga Sutras 2,500 years ago. So this is the place where that ancient Eastern wisdom is meeting cutting-edge Western awareness of, of the human experience. They knew 2,500 years ago in their own way that you know, through this shifting our thinking that we're talking about, they called it Pratapaksha Bhavana, that we can move towards healing and wholeness, that it changes our inner chemistry and changes our capacity to achieve homeostasis and brings us into a state where we maximize our, our power and our healing potential. They knew this that long ago. And I would love for everyone in school to be learning about this kind of wisdom early on. Mm, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. So let's start uh, putting that out there, that that book will be in all of the curriculum around the world. That would be awesome. <laughs> okay, sounds good. 
We spoke about before about your practice and regularly getting up at the hour of the divine and doing your practice. And I am fascinated with people's, you know, morning routines and what they do to really prime themselves for the day. So can you tell us what your morning routine or what your practice looks like today? Mm. Well, it's much, much shorter than it used to be when I was on my healing journey, uh, much more more reasonable. But I still get up before sunrise, and I'll, I'll come downstairs in my home and often put the, the fireplace on, and I'll roll out a cloth on the carpet, and I'll do about a half an hour of sun salutations. Uh, this is a sequence of moving yoga postures for those not familiar and some other opening postures that, that I know really are helpful for, for my back and a body that's getting older uh, by the day and breath work and then some powerful affirmation and a short meditation. Oftentimes I'm remembering empathy and compassion, and forgiveness, and courage, and let me be the best that I can be today. And then I'll, I'll have my breakfast, and I'll go for a walk and get to the, the beach oftentimes by the time the sun's up by that time, and feel connected with nature. And that's my practice. Beautiful. I'd love to hear now what uh, three things you are most recently grateful for in your life. Well, I'm most grateful for my son, who's 19 years old now, and is going to the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcast Journalism, not following in my footsteps. He found this all on his own, but in his own way, he's going to be a storyteller, and he's going to make great changes in the world. And we remain to this day deeply connected, and I'm so grateful for him. He's such a good human being. As well as being my beloved son, he's just a very, very best friend. Mm. I'm grateful for for Mother Earth. I'm grateful for this magnificent conscious planet that nurtures and sustains us all. I am so grateful for Mother Earth. And it's when we forget to be grateful and even humble in in her grace that we do harm. And when we remember, we're more likely not to do harm. I'm really grateful for for Mother Earth. And I'm grateful for my amazing wife, Laura, who has taught me so much and been such an amazing example of of a beautiful and conscious, wise and deep human being and, and who's put up with me. So my wife, my son, and Mother Earth. Beautiful. And have you thought about, you know, with Morgan, which is your son, you know, have you had the discussion with him about, you know, not identifying himself with this career like mm-hmm. you did? Like, have you had, I mean, he's obviously knows your story, but have you had that open dialogue with him about how to, I guess, not fall down that path like you did? Or have you just kind of completely left it open? Well, one of the many, many amazing things about Morgan is that he doesn't need that talk. He is really a grounded, centered person who doesn't overly identify with his external identity. I I don't think I've ever met a young American male, 19 years old, who has a greater sense of not being stuck in their ego than than Morgan. And this isn't because of me or Laura or any external influences in his life. It's who he's always been. And he is so balanced and centered in that, that I don't think he needs any talks from me. I just like to affirm him as much as I can. And I I learn a lot from him as well. Mm, Absolutely. As you know, we've got Leo and parenting him is, yeah, an amazing classroom. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like that too? Oh, it is. It's always a a learning experience, and it moves you forward uh, in so many different ways. And Oh, yeah. He is the light of my life and, and always will be. 
Beautiful. So I've got three rapid fire last little questions for you before we wrap up. And the first one is, in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our health? Eat natural food. And natural, you mean? From Mother Earth, nothing that's in a box or a can or has been microwaved or frozen or has additives or ingredients that you cannot read. Eat legumes and fruits and vegetables. And if you're carnivorous, a little bit of of meat as well, but make it organic and free range and natural and eat only organic food and fruits and, and you will be vastly healthier and let all the other stuff go. Yes. Beautiful. Now, what is one of the most important things that you could do for your wealth? So when I say that, I mean your finances and what you do in the world, basically. Mm. Well, I work with private clients and um, I don't ever seek to, to get abundance, which I think makes it flow a little more. No, worrying is like praying for what you don't want to happen. And that that's not my original quote. I heard that somewhere else a long time ago, and it really stuck with me. Worrying is praying for what you don't want. And um, I work with private clients, and I'm also launching a, a new venture uh, called Your Book Now. I'm working with some cancer organizations, and through this venture, I've created an o- online course over the last 10 days, the, an eight-lesson course, designed to help people who have been through a transformative life experience, have taken what Joseph Campbell calls the hero's journey of having almost fallen off the face of the earth, hit bottom, found an inner power, and found a way to climb the mountain, and come back changed, uh, to tell their story. and. To facilitate that and around that, I'd love to grow a community of people who are interacting with one another and sharing their stories to show other people what is possible. So that's going to be launched very soon. If there's anyone who's listening to this right now, they can contact me if they already have gone through the hero's journey and really want to tell their story. And this is a course in training that if I was marketing myself a lot, it would be monetized. And uh, But this is something I want to let people just make a small donation and do the work so that my payoff and my abundance will be in encouraging and facilitating others sharing their stories so that we all help one another move forward. Mm, beautiful. And final question, what is one of the most important things that we can do for love? Mm. Symbolically wrap our arms around the whole world and realize that love is not what you're getting and receiving, it's what you're giving. Wow. Well, I am wrapping my arms around you right now, all the way from here. And before we go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and all of the work that you do in the world. Your book changed my life and having you and Laura in my life has profoundly impacted my growth and my relationship and my husband's life. And you two coming into our life has just been incredible and i'm so i'm so 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 deeply grateful mm. for everything that you've taught me and inspired within me to dig deeper and same with laura you two are just angels well thank you very much melissa and i want to say back at you um you and nick inspire us you are beautiful and amazing creative and intelligent people and i know that you are touching so many people who follow you and helping so many people change their lives and empower themselves in so many ways with all the work you do and i'm really grateful for that as well Mm, thank you barbara and i can't wait to come stay with you and laura again next time i'm in san diego (laughs) hopefully for a bit longer next time 
Please do, and I hope that we can get down under one day. Yes, we'd love to have you. And for everything that we've mentioned today, we will put Barbara and I will put it all in the show notes. So the the awesome course, um, your book now that Barbara spoke about, we will pop in the show notes and everything else that we've mentioned. But uh, thank you again, Barbara. Um, sending you so much love, and please give Laura my love too. Thank you. Will do. Thank you. Bless you. Mm, isn't he amazing? I feel like I'm floating right now after that call. He's just such a beautiful, beautiful human being. Not many people have been able to heal and have been through what he has been through and been able to come out the other end and able to tell their story with such grace. So I feel incredibly grateful to have been able to have this conversation today with this beautiful man whom I love so dearly. So if you loved this episode as much as I did, please share it with your friends. Leave me a five-star review in iTunes and tell me on Twitter who else you would like me to interview on the show. You can do that by tagging me and my tag is at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that Barbara and I mentioned in the podcast, you can get in the show notes and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 17. And you can check out all my other epic podcasts there too. So thank you again so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. Like Bava said, it's about discipline and showing up and doing the work. And right now, you're doing the work. So give yourself a little pat on the back and I'm giving you a hug from where I am. So I hope you can feel that. And if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, someone who may be going through something traumatic with their health, please share this with them right now. Maybe buy Barva's book, Warrior Pose, and send it to them. Please share this with them because I know it will really support them. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.